Hey guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And we are here recording Lost in the Woods. Welcome. My mouth hurts. So Maddie and I just had really, really spicy Thai food. Uh, Crispy garlic chicken to be specific. And oh my gosh, my mouth is on fire. My mouth is sweating. (laughs) My lips hurt. I'm not quite sure. It's like, it's very uncomfortable. I don't have an issue with spice, but I wasn't expecting it because usually it's not that spicy, but we get the same. Yeah, we get the same. Star every time. We get the same thing every time. And sometimes it's really spicy and sometimes it's not. So today it was a little. (laughs) Really, really, really spicy. A little extra spicy. (laughs) It's probably picking up your breathing. (laughs) It was so fucking loud on the last podcast. Sorry, guys, if you had to hear Maddie breathing throughout the entire podcast last time. I don't know how she doesn't. I don't know how she or any other podcasters don't breathe into their microphones. Like, I literally don't understand. (laughs) I I can't not breathe into my microphone. So I'm like basically editing and I'm like talking, but I can hear this like. (sighs) 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 Okay, that's dramatic as hell. But I was like, what in Fucking hell, I also that have- noise. <laughs> and then I realized it was Madison breathing. I also have this really bad tendency as my mom is talking to get like really close to my microphone. So yeah, I think she that's like what it puts is. her face like right up on her microphone like this. It's I can't do it right now because I And then you can really hear her breathing. And I'm like, what are you doing? Okay, today we are bringing you a crazy story. Crazy, crazy story. And I know that some of you have probably heard this story because if you are a true crime of any sort, psychotic of any sort, then you've probably at least heard about this story or maybe heard a shorter version of this yes. story. And um, we actually have no idea how many parts this is going to be. We're going to figure it out. It's going to be at least two, though. It's kind of a longer one. This is a very crazy and intense case. Yes. This is the story of the Diatlo Pass. It's not, it's pronounced differently than Diablo. It's not, why Why did I think it was Diablo Pass? Shed thought that too. He's like, you mean Diablo Pass? And I'm like, no, it's Russian. It's well, Diatlo. I didn't even think about the fact that it's Russian, but why <laughs> did I think it was Diablo Pass for I, some I don't reason? Know. Okay. I, I think there might be an actual Diablo Pass, but that is I'm not this story. Also, here today, we're doing the thing where I know the story not the details so i will be here asking all the questions i'm sure everybody else is gonna have yes and we will say this up front this takes place in russia maddie and i are not russian are not russian so we may struggle with some pronunciation in here please forgive us we're going to do our best we will google things but but we can make no promises but so and also upset because there were weeks of research put into this case. Like at least like a week and a half, two weeks. Uh, I've been researching this one for three weeks. Okay, three weeks, sorry, lied. Three weeks of research. And the entire time my mom's like, oh my God, like gasping like, at the research she's doing. And I'm like, what? What? So I'm dying to hear this sto- the details of this story because you wouldn't tell me anything. So here's what normally happens. Normally I do the research and throughout the entire research, I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'll like tell Maddie about the case. 
And then we get in here and she's like, oh yeah, and did you know this? And I'm like, I freaking told you that. <laughs> well, and I read about this story, I think a few years ago, there's a book, Dead Mountain by Donnie Eicher. And that is the first time that I heard of this story. And then since then I've heard it in a couple other places. But like you said, a very brief version of the story. We're going to tell the story. Get ready to be frustrated and confused because... And to hear us pronounce names wrong. Yeah. Get ready for it. This case takes place in 1959 when a group of nine hikers was formed to undertake a skiing expedition across the northern Urals in Russia. They were students or graduates of the Ural Polytechnic Institute. And none of them would survive this trip. This is by far the most mysterious case I've ever come across. I'm waiting so I can make some hypotheses. Hypotheses? <laughs> Hypothesi? Plural of hypothesis? <laughs> Anybody have the Question? answer? We're going to start by telling you about the members of this group, which actually start as 10. Okay. Who Did someone leave partway through? It's kind of weird. So did someone leave before they all died? Oh, my God. What the fuck happened to the 10th guy? No one knows? <laughs> I can't tell you. Did they not find him? Because if they didn't find him, bro, he's responsible for this whole thing. What? <laughs> All right, Madison. Did he leave halfway through? I'm confused. I thought there were only nine. You're telling me there's 10? Okay, so if you... <laughs> I feel lied to right now. <laughs> I feel insulted. I promise I'm going to answer all of your questions. So... The group would start as 10. There would be eight men and two women, and the leader of the group was Igor Dyatlov. Let me just say the coolest name. Yeah. Igor. Love and it. if you hadn't figured it out, this case is actually named, it, Dyatlov Pass is actually named after him because of this expedition. So Igor Dyatlov, who was 23, was a student of radio engineering and had built a radio in his second year. And it also designed a small stove that he had brought in on the trip. Like a wood stove? Like, does it burn wood? Yeah, like a wood-burning stove. Okay, pretty cool. What year is this again? 1959. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. He was considered distinguished and thorough with an amazing ability to organize. He was brave and strong, and there was just something about him. I feel like anybody with the name Igor, there's something about him. Right, Igor. I know. I know. He took command over any situation, so just a natural-born leader, and he was very respected. And you also had to earn a spot on this crew, on his crew, his hiking crew. Right. He tended to be kind of picky about the people he allowed to hike with him. I don't blame him. I don't blame him either. And this... As my mom complains about half the people that were hiking know, right? with us. Like, not everybody. Not everyone. You guys who are listening who've gone hiking with us. It's probably <laughs> not you. If you listen to the podcast, it's probably not you. Other people... It might be you. It might be you. <laughs> okay. Okay, and then we have Yuri Doroshenko, who is 21. And Yuri, we are actually going to refer to him as Doroshenko because Why? there's another Yuri. Ah. So, so do I at least get to say Yuri in this? You do. Yeah. So he will be referred to as Doroshenko. He studied radio engineering. He was impulsive and brave and was well known for chasing a bear with a small geological hammer on a previous hiking trip. Oh, okay. Yep. All right. <laughs> he Russians. I know, right? He was the tallest of the group and sometimes wore glasses. 
He came from a very poor family and often wore a jacket that was inadequate for the Russian winter and confided in Zina that his mom had been saving for years to buy him a warmer jacket. Lumilia Dubinia, who we will refer to as Leoda. And she's 20. Ah, it, I hate, I really, really, really dislike it when the people out of our stories are uh, around my age. Around your age, yeah. I really dislike it, like. 23, 21, 20. The- yeah. I- this is a very young group of people. Okay, so she was the youngest of the group, and she loved to sing and take photos. She was athletic. You would have to be athletic to do this hike. We'll be clear. They're all athletic, but there are a couple of them that are more athletic. Like, I believe she was a long-distance runner, like a cross-country okay. runner as well. So gotcha. very good endurance. I know. I was just making fun of it. Mm-hmm. So she was a student of construction engineering. So she was a serious person and had a very high pain tolerance. On a previous expedition, she had accidentally gotten shot in the leg. Yeah, by a hunter in their group that was cleaning his gun. And she had to be carried out. Over 50 miles and didn't complain at all. So this would be like me if I got shot. Maybe not you if you got shot. I feel like in serious (laughs) situations, I don't, like when I'm actually in pain or sick or something, I don't complain. I only complain about inconveniences, not actual. I have a slightly higher pain tolerance than Maddie. Just a little. And I have a slight higher pain tolerance than the majority of the population. So you can imagine my mother. Yeah, I don't know why. I have a very high pain tolerance. Some people say it's because I'm a redhead. I don't know, because if you, numbing doesn't work on me. Yeah, anesthesia doesn't work on me either. It takes a lot and it wears off really fast, so super fun. So she was also seen as wise and firm and a fair leader. Yeah, and she was also very boisterous if she didn't like something and does write about that in her journal a few times where she's like, damn me. Next, we have another Yuri, who we are also not going to call Yuri. You said that I would be calling someone Yuri. There's another Yuri. So this one is Yuri Krivoshenko, and he goes by Georgi. So we will be referring to him as Georgi. He's 23. He was known as the group's jester and musician. He was always ready with a wisecrack, and he played the mandolin. He had a talent for storytelling, and he was always the life of the party. He was good friends with Igor and went on every expedition with him. His parents had a lot of money and were very influential in society. He studied hydraulics and construction. So our next member is Alexander Kolovatov, who we will be calling Kolovatov. Right, and he actually, people actually called him Sasha, which is Alexander. But there's another Sasha on this trip, so... So he's Why the fuck does everybody have the same name? Why? Why did So he is he is known as Kolovatov. Okay. So he's 24. He was a methodical man with an imposing presence and he could be found with a pipe in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Who's had a pipe? Cool. Like it? Like the vibe. He was also an intensely private person and he was a student of nuclear physics. Next we have Zenita Kolmogorova who we simply refer to as Zena. She's 22. She's also a student of radio engineering, so just like Igor, mm-hmm. and was described as lovely and bright. She treated everyone with fondness and respect, and she was liked by all, and people were naturally drawn to her, including some members of the group. 
Rustium Slobatin is our next member, and he is 23, and we will be calling him Rustic. He's 23, and he was the Richie of the group. Yeah, so I think the majority of the group does not have a lot of money, but he's one of the ones that has a, a little bit money. more money. Okay. Yeah, or the most in the group. He had already earned his degree in mechanical engineering, and he was also musically gifted, and he played the mandolin as well. Okay. Um, he was also very friendly, honest, and decent. And he was a man of few words. So quiet, but an honest, good person. Mm -hmm. We then have Nikolai Thibault Brignon. We refer to him as Kolya in the episode, but there are journal entries that refer to him as Thibault. So, All right, don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. We will remind you later. He's 23 years old. He was French and had already earned his degree in industrial civil construction. He was serious and well-read, and he was known for his intuitiveness and his humor. Here is our third Yuri of the group. Yudin, he's 21. He will be Yuri. The only Yuri out of the three Yuris. So he was a geology student. A little bit different than the rest of the guys. Mm -hmm. rest of the, everybody. I feel like everybody's some kind of engineer and he's know, a right? geologist he had chronic health issues but a good sense of humor like he had heart issues rheumatoid arthritis joint pain and he was probably the least likely of the group so basically he had started hiking and that had made a huge difference in his outlook on life because he did suffer from chronic pain and things like that and because he was such a pleasant person to be around he was there so, again, I got the hard name. So this one we have Simon Alexandrovich Zolotaryov, or as we're going to call him in this one, Sasha. Now, this one's kind of interesting. He's 38, so he's the oldest and most mysterious member of the group. He was an acquaintance of Igor, and the rest of the group had not met him. So he was originally scheduled to go on a different hiking excursion, and something happened with his dates not lining up. And so the leader of that group introduced him to Igor, who was leaving on dates that lined up more with his. So I think there was a, they didn't want to take him initially, but they felt obligated to say yes. He had actually served in the armed forces for World War II. He had tattoos, which was rare for the time. And some report him as having gold teeth, but I could not find proof of this anywhere. And there are things that will happen later that make me think that maybe it's not true. Each member of the group was an experienced grade two hiker with ski tour experience and would be receiving a grade three rating upon their return. So at the time, this was the highest rating you could receive from the Soviet Union. You had to traverse 300 kilometers or 190 miles in order to receive the certification. A third of the terrain had to be challenging terrain the minimum time had to be 16 days with no fewer than eight days spent in uninhabited regions with a minimum of six days spent in a tent. The new certification would allow all of them to train others in the craft. So this was a really big deal. Can I get this qualification? I don't know if this is a thing anymore. But we've done this. Because <laughs> I am convinced that I could become a level three Hiker, for sure. But remember, they don't have 
the same kind of gear that we hike with now. They don't have the same kind of resources oh, that we hike with now. No, would have been crazy. Heavy as hell hiking very, in the 50s with everything they had. Very heavy bags. Yeah. So I'm convinced with our stuff we have now, I could do all of these qualifications. I think it would suck, but I think I could do it. I know I could do it, yeah. The women were thought of as equal to the men and were treated as such. And it was considered shameful to express romantic interest in just one person. Although it is said that multiple members of the group had a crush on Xena and that Yuri Yodin had a crush on Liuda. On January 8th, 1959, the group developed the route, which is a big deal. When we developed our route, it, that was a big deal. When we? I was there. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> okay, go. Hi, I'm Maddie. I get no credit for anything <laughs> in life because if I even try to slightly take credit for anything, I get denied and told and put in my place. Maddie, you can take credit for things that you actually do. Well, <laughs> Just I'm for the record, when we plan a hike or a backpacking trip or anything like that, I spend weeks researching routing, downloading maps, like doing all that stuff. We get it. It's just like the podcast. So, all I do is show up. We fucking get it. So when Maddie's like, we developed our route, what she means is she sat there and was like, what are you doing? Well, I developed the route. <laughs> Welcome to my entire existence, everybody. This is what it's like being me. I would take the abuse if it meant I didn't have to do any work. So we can happily <laughs> trade places. Then nothing's going to get done if we switch places. And you know this. <laughs> It would reach the far northern regions of the Servlaks Oblast and the upper streams of the Lozva River. The route was approved and confirmed by the Slovask City Route Commission. Right, which you had to do or were supposed to do. Because they're, remember, they're part of like an official hiking club. Yeah, this through is like the school. This yeah. is an official hike. Like, this isn't even like what we did where we just went and did it hiked around a mountain like they are doing this for qualifications for a hiking club for their university yeah everything yeah. like it is serious okay so the goal of the group was to reach the gora or tartan mountain which actually means don't go there in the native tongue i like it let's go <laughs> let's do it okay so this was only 10 kilometers or 6.2 miles from where the group's abandoned tents would eventually be found tent they only have one tent. Mm -hmm. There's nine of them in one tent. Mm -hmm. This is also news to me. Yep. I pictured this scene with multiple tents. Nope, it's one tent. How big is this tent? Who it's carried pretty, it? The tent is pretty big. Who carried? You share gear. You carry shared gear when you're on a big expedition like this. So somebody will carry part of the tent. Somebody will carry the stove. Somebody will carry the food. Like They split up the weight of the packs so that everybody has an equal weighted pack nine people one tent i freak out when i have to share the tent with all my sisters when we go camping sometimes because i know me too i feel claustrophobic with five of us in one tent a big tent okay and this hike would be considered a category three the most difficult time to traverse because it's in february yeah so January 23, 1959, the planned route of the group was not sufficiently studied and there were no detailed maps of the area. Igor actually got help from a geologist and a pilot to find the optimal course through the mountain. The group was issued their route book, but final approval of the route was never sent in by Igor. Hmm. This will become a problem later. The group converges on room 531. They are frantically packing for their departure. 
This would be no easy task, but they must catch the bus this night. Some of their preparations are captured in their journal. So they have a group journal that everybody takes turns writing in. It's like a task that's assigned to you. So they all take turns writing in it. Zena was actually the diarist for the evening, and she sat quietly taking her job very seriously. So she's the one just writing what people say down? Uh-huh, yeah. The room is in an artistic mess. Where are my felt boots? It doesn't fit. Damn it. Who has the knife? <laughs> Damn it, it doesn't fit. Who has a knife? What is that? <laughs> I want to know what... Who said that and who... I know, what, right? is, what is it? What is it that doesn't fit that a knife is going to make it fit? I'm just curious because I'm trying to think. I don't know. What Something's about to get cut up, though. The Yuda was responsible for counting the money and rolling it and putting it into a waterproof can. Yuri was the keeper of medicine. Which was probably appropriate since he did have the most medical problems in the group. Yeah, I would say yes. At 9 p.m., the group would take the number 43 train to the city of Sirov. They actually purchased less tickets than needed. And if the conductor came through, some plan to hide under the seat benches. Yeah, which I love that. I love that they're like trying to save money and Mm -hmm. buying less tickets than they actually need. And if the conductor does come through, which we ran into this in Europe, where they a conductor actually does come through the train and check your tickets or punch your tickets or do something with your tickets and it was really funny because when we were on the we were on we went took a couple trains in europe but one of the trains we took was super duper packed nobody for some reason was in the correct seat and the conductor came through and when he came through multiple people had to move seats because they were in the wrong seat well and there were other trains that we were standing on because they were there wasn't seats and There were so many stops that the conductor would come through about half of the time after a stop. So you could get away with jumping on the train for a stop or two sometimes without getting Mm -hmm. busted. It all depends on what train it was, how rural it was. We took a really, really nice train where the seats were all purple and orange. And we had like plug-ins and stuff. And they had, you could buy food. And then we took some very not so nice trains, so... But yeah. I actually, I actually, I didn't mind the train system at all. There. I like, I like trains, except when we were going through tunnels when we were in France. Those were intense. Yeah. Those ones made me like car They were very windy. Yeah. So in the group diary, it says, and here we are on the train. We sang all the songs that we know, learned new ones. Everyone goes to sleep at 3 a.m. I wonder what awaits us in this trip. What will we encounter? The boys solemnly swore not to smoke the entire trip. I wonder how much willpower they will have to get by without cigarettes. <laughs> and and th- that's Zita. Yeah, Zita wrote that one. That's funny. I like that, that they all made like a, an oath to like not smoke. Like a pact smoke. not yeah. to smoke yeah. on the trip. In Liuda's diary, she wrote, This time, there were a lot of very new songs. And we were writing down with the help of our instructor, Zolotaryov, who came with us on the truck. At first, nobody wanted this Zolotaryov, for he is a stranger. But then we all agree because you can't refuse. Thus, as we were 10, and remain 10, for Slavka was not released by the facility bureau. So originally, they were going to be 10 because of this Slavka, and then he wasn't released, but then Zolotaryov ended up on the trip. Or Sasha, as we're calling him. Sasha. Sasha. But I think it's funny that she wrote in her journal, at first, none of us wanted him. But we can't say no. They end up getting along well with him, too, after that. So 
On January 24, Zena's letter home to a friend says, The train is going. In three hours, we will be in Sirav. Behind the windows stands a Ural Tega. All the same, it feels great to be alive in this world, my dear. You know this mood when you are sad and happy at the same time. And she wrote, rejoice in the good. What if there is sadness sometimes after all? One must live. True? We need to see only the good in life, and then it will be more fun to live. I give you my word that everything will be all right. Sounds like she's kind of struggling a little bit with something. Mm-hmm. But like trying to be encouraging at the same time. Probably just struggling with leaving and thinking about how long the trip is. And- On January 24th, 1959 was a very eventful day of traveling for all of them. And we know it's a very eventful day of travel because almost everybody writes about it in their journals. So we're going to kind of just tell the story. Yeah, just tell you guys basically what everybody said. So Georgi is detained by the police for singing at the train station. Right. So you guys, apparently he asked uh, Leota, who's the treasurer, if they could buy breakfast because they had like downtime at the station. And when she told him no, he started singing loudly and walking around with his cap in his hand like he was looking for donations. Like begging for money. <laughs> yeah. Which highly entertained the group, but he was doing this when the police showed up. Apparently, singing in this train station is frowned upon. The police approached him and led him away, and the group followed them to the police station where he was given a warning and released. A stern warning, I think, too. They also wrote about traveling with the Bilinov Hiking Group, which was another group from the university that was heading out on a hike, but they were going to a different place. But they they all get to travel together for a little bit. How crazy would it be to be that group and be like, that could have been us. So also... A drunk passenger accused the group of stealing his vodka. (laughs) Right, which is funny. So interesting fact about that. In their preparations, Igor actually says that Yuri could not get alcohol. So some theorize that maybe someone did lift the vodka, although others say that the group didn't drink at all. So not sure what that's about. They're also traveling with another hiking group. So I suppose they could have. Also a drunk guy drinks all his vodka. I know, right? Like, Where's my vodka? Stole my vodka. So in looking for a place to stay, they did find the 41st school, which allowed them to get some sleep in exchange for talking to their young kids about their adventures and this trip that they're going on, which I just think is so cool. That is cool. So on January 25, 1959, the group would arrive by train at Ivdel in the early morning hours. The group is warned against going into the mountains by locals. Don't like that. I don't like that at all. Don't like that. From there, they took a truck to Vashai, a village that is the last inhabited settlement to the north. So they're getting closer to isolation. They must be so north. Okay, so January 25th, 1959, group diary entry. Mm -hmm. First layer passengers sat on the seats on a pile of skis on backpacks. Second layer passengers sat on backs of the seats, finding a place for legs on shoulders of comrades. (laughs) It was so tight. However, not as not to sing... So we did almost all the way to Vashai. Yeah. And there's actually a picture of this, which I'll post, where they're just like basically like stacked on top of each other. All right. So on January 26th, 1959, the outside temperature is 
negative 17 degrees Celsius. Brr. Freezing. Very cold. Igor sends a telegram about their arrival at the checkpoint. He also sends his last postcard. The group travels in the back of a truck to Sector 41, which is a wood-cutting settlement. Interesting. Sector 41. I know. I feel like that's a... I feel like that's a movie title, like a horror know, movie right? title it or something. Does. This trek to the woodcutting settlement was a rough trek in an open back truck with no brakes and no shocks. Yeah. Uh, no thanks. They kind of ride with the tent over top of them too, I think, to protect them from the elements. But it sounds like this was a really, really rough trip. And actually, Yuri Yudin starts to get sick during this drive. He starts to have a lot of pain. He starts to not feel good. So the jostling on this truck is probably not helping his health issues. No, Sector 41 was a very memorable stop for the group, and they really enjoyed the company that they met at this settlement, one of which that's mentioned in almost all of the diaries is Redbeard, which is what they call him. But in Leota's diary, she writes, 26 January, in the morning, Sasha jumped up from the cold and said... That he had a cold night. Zina and I slept perfectly. Went to the dining room and began to gather. We go by car, tried to sing, talked about abstract topics, and in general, nobody was warm. The surroundings were very uninteresting at the beginning, a scorched forest. In general, we had to go two second north, but it was getting dark and we decided to stop at the 41st at 4.30. We were met very hospitably. They stayed in the barracks where the guys live. In general, here are all civilians. There are no women at all except for two. The guys are all young, as Igor noticed, and are even cute and generally interesting. Hmm. Especially memorable among all is Ognev with a red beard and the nickname of his beard. In general, very rarely there are such people in such a hole. A true romantic, a geologist, and generally developed, many of the guys play the guitar. She also talked about watching Symphony in Gold again, which I think they watched three times during their travels. It's like a 1956 musical hmm. that seems to be playing everywhere. But it, it's interesting. Like, she's basically saying the men here are actually interesting and educated in this whole of a place. Middle of nowhere? Mm-hmm. Russia? Mm-hmm. So on January 27th, 1959, they leave civilization. Yep. So they get someone to drive and pull a sled that their packs are on and they ski behind this. Right. And they're not, it's not driving. I think it's a horse pulled. A horse pulled? Yeah. Okay. Packs are on a sled. They're skiing or walking behind. The, it, that, that's, Yeah. They'll have 15 miles to cover before they even make it to their starting point, but having the weight of their packs off their backs makes the trek much easier. Right, and we can definitely attest to that. 100%. It makes a huge difference when you have 25 pounds on your back versus having nothing on your back, and I don't even know what their packs were. Oh, I would assume much more than 25 pounds, Mom. I would think so, too. Lightweight gear wasn't really a thing. In Zena's diary, she writes, 27, today is the first day of our journey. The backpack is not much, but somewhat heavy. Yes, Yuri Yudin is leaving us today. His sciatic nerves inflamed again, and he is leaving. Such a pity. We distributed his load in our packs. 
it turns out that on the last day, we will see some kind of civilization, stove, people, etc. January 27th, 1959, group diary entry says 5C? Yeah, 5 degrees Celsius. Oh, all right, 5 degrees Celsius, 5C. Gotcha. The weather's really good. The wind is at our backs. That must be, I didn't even, I didn't even think about the wind. The wind must be crazy. Yes, the wind is probably the, their biggest problem, yeah. On January 28, 1959, negative 8 degrees Celsius, <laughs> Yudin decides that he must turn back when he's hardly able to get out of bed and he cannot continue on without being a burden to the rest of the group. And this is the guy that has all of the issues, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. When Yuri Yudin left the group earlier that day, Igor tells him to relay to the university that the group is running about three days behind and the rest of the group continues on. This would be the last time anyone would see them alive. Oh my God, he must have such bad survivor's guilt. So bad. He, so he does. Bad. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, he's the guy that has all the issues, but running three days behind... Yeah, and part of that is they had delays along the way. They had to wait for trains. Yeah. The horse sleigh put them behind. So just little things kind of put them behind. So he's scheduled to return to Vishai on a certain day and send a telegram to the university that they've returned. So he's telling Yuri Yudin, hey, when you get back, let them know that we are running three days behind schedule. So on February 12th, Igor was scheduled to send a telegram. And, like, this was his deadline. Like, no later was he supposed to send it February 12th. Except, remember, they're running three days behind as well. So, technically, if Igor gets back to the university and tells them, that means they're expecting to get a telegram no later than the 15th. Yeah. On February 17th, the university, under pressure from the family, telegraphs Fishai, the town the group is supposed to travel back to, and the following day, they received word back that the Dyatlov group did not return. This would be what finally launches the university into action. However, the official approved route could not be found. And it is assumed that it was either lost or not filed. Well, it is a bunch of like 23-year-olds. Yeah, I don't know why he didn't actually like file the final route. I think maybe he just ran out of time or didn't think about it or wasn't worried about it. I don't know. So <sighs> basically, they know the direction they were headed, but they don't know what exactly where exactly, they exactly. Exactly. Okay. On February 20th, the head of the Institute sent the first rescue group after the families demanded a search party. So to me, it sounds like the universe, the Institute isn't super worried about it. And the families are like, well, one of the problems, too, is the head guy was actually out on his own expedition when they were due back. So that delayed the yeah, process. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, it consisted of volunteer students and teachers. Later, the army and militia forces brought planes in and helicopters. So later, more serious. Right, right. Rescue missions were done. And then, and then Yuri Yudin turns up at the university after being presumed missing. Apparently, instead of returning to the university after leaving the group, he made a detour home. So his classmates were unaware that he had left the group. Can you imagine 
you know that everybody's out looking for this group of hikers and then one just comes like strolling into class. Yeah. But also Yuri probably wouldn't have even known that they were missing. He didn't. So he realizes then that he forgot to relay the three day delay to the university. And even though the delay time had been doubled by their absence, he was not immediately concerned and it would take days before his fear would begin to register. Because he's just thinking they probably just got held up. He's not really concerned at this point. Which I think puts some people at ease. Initially. So on February 23rd, Monsi searchers get involved, which are the indigenous people of this area. Right. And this is very good for helping search the area. Oh, yeah. Well, they probably know the terrain way, way better than they do. Anyone who's out there. And with their help, they're finally able to pick up ski tracks. They follow the ski tracks. On February 25, an airdrop comes from one of the air searchers telling them to take a different route. Here they find the tracks from the group and evidence of one of their campsites along the river. So the airdrop is like basically searchers up in the air. They throw a note down usually attached to something brightly colored, usually red. Like Hunger Games type of stuff? Yeah, basically. Do the bells happen? I don't know. No, there's no bells. They lose the trail the next day and are forced to follow the river. One member falls ill and turns back, although the group thinks that he's faking it and that he's just too scared to continue on. On February 26th, the search party sees a flap of a tent in the distance. The poles are upright, but the canvas is wrong and is partially buried under fresh snow. They pass an ice axe erect in the snow and a half-buried flashlight turned on, but the battery is out at this point. Yeah, no. Nope, 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 nope. They reach the tent. Because I'm just saying that if I was hiking in the snow with especially the weapons that we carry on us, If I was really going after something or something was coming after me, I might honestly grab the ice axe. Yeah. That is a weapon. Yeah. That is a very nice weapon. For sure. And why is the flashlight in the snow turned on, but the battery is dead? I don't like that. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. So they reach the tent. Searchers cut open the tent with the ice axe. Yeah. There are empty backpacks, skis, jackets, blankets lining the tent along the floor. Which this you would do for insulation. So everybody takes off their stuff and it gets lined along the floor for insulation to keep you warmer in the tent. Gotcha. At the south end of the tent, there are several ski boots. Six more pairs along the other wall. Near the entrance of the tent lay a wood axe and a saw. Everything else seems to be stowed away in packs. There are a few personal items visible, a camera, a can of money, a diary, and the food is stored away in one of the corners. The stove is in the center of the tent, but not assembled. There is an open flask of cocoa that sits frozen nearby. For some reason, that really bothers me. Uh, That also really bothers me. There's a cloth napkin with neat slices of ham on it. There's no sign of the group. None. Which initially gives the search party hope because they didn't find a bunch of bodies at the tent, right? So they're thinking they have to be nearby somewhere. It looks like they they left their tent not long ago. There's ham slices sitting here. Their shoes are there. Footprints 
could be seen leading away from the tent. Some were barefoot, some in socks, and one just had one shoe on it. They led down the slope to the northeast toward a wooded area. The search team, though, is forced to turn back to camp due to an approaching snowstorm. I just want to really make sure that everyone is aware that all of their shoes are there except for, obviously, what sounds like at this point one shoe. But everybody's snow boots. It is freezing snow. Right, so that's the important part. The snow boots. Just keep that in mind this entire time. That all of their shoes are in the tent. So there are six journals found in the tent. The group diary, Zena's diary, Leota's diary, Roostick's diary, and an unknown diary. Which I still think is crazy that they don't know whose diary it is. Even to this day, they don't know whose diary it is. I wouldn't have written my name in my diary. I wouldn't have done that. I don't don't ever, I wouldn't have either probably. Okay. Anyway, so that was our part one of the Diablo Pass. Pass tragedy. Incident. Aliens. We're, we murder. don't even. I don't. I don't we know. don't even know what we're we, calling it yet. I can't. Yeah. I have to decide by tomorrow. It's I fine. don't think there's anything <laughs> you can call it though, because nobody knows for sure. No one even has a good answer. I would say it's definitely a tragedy or an incident. So I think we could probably Trage- go with either. Tragedy. Let's yeah. go with tragedy. 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 <laughs> tragedy. On Dyatlov Pass, maybe. Yeah, and um, thank you so much for listening. Get ready for part two. Be prepared. Try to keep this as straight as possible. It's all going to be fine. Yeah, and we will definitely like try to remind you guys what's going on and help you out with that. If you need more things to listen to while you're waiting for the next part of this, go check out our Patreon. And speaking of Patreon, we have some new patrons. Yeah, so we have Joe Gagne. Gagne? Joe Gagne? Sure. I don't, I'm not sure. That sounds good. Thank Hope- you so much. Yeah, hopefully we got that at least close. Sorry if we didn't. We did have one of our Patreons message us uh, after last week and was like, you guys were so close. And I was like, thanks oh, for man. Being nice. Yeah, thanks for being nice. Um, And then we have Jenna Simmerman. Uh, that's Kenna. Kenna. Did I say Jenna? You did. Kenna Simmerman. Thank you, Kenna, for supporting us. We really appreciate it. And Thank you to all of our Patreons. And if you're not a Patreon, go check it out. We have lots of episodes. We have Bunker Talks. Lots of stuff for you to binge. Yeah, lots of things for you to check out. So check it out. And you'll get a sticker. And you'll get a sticker. And we still have a few more Christmas cards, too. And we're still going to send those out until they're gone. So It's July, but we will be sending out Christmas cards still. It's not July. I mean, June. I mean, January. She, what she means is, if we don't have enough people signing up by July, you're you, still going to be getting Christmas cards. Yeah, so that's, go that's sign definitely up. what I meant. <laughs> that's it right there. Go sign up for Patreon. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. We really appreciate it. And have a good one. Yeah. Bye, guys. Still want to go to Russia, but I feel like I don't want to go to Russia unless I know Russian. Okay, we're gonna need a translator to go to Russia with us. So we're so. taking applications. <laughs> we're also gonna need you to pay for us to fly there. <laughs> uh, but on the but on the plus side, you get to hang out with us for a week. So let's do it. I'll pay for half. You pay for half because she's broke. Yeah, I have no money, so Maddie will pay for her. 
half of me, but you have to pay for the other half of me and yourself. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I have won the title of the richest person in my immediate family, so... I've been making Maddie save since she was born, basically. So she has a lot of money in her account. I have a fat savings. She has a fat savings. Don't try to steal my savings. I make my kids save 50% of everything Which that they've gotten. sucked ass as a little kid. Like, I was mad every time she made me put my savings. Because I wanted to go buy random stupid stuff. That you wouldn't even remember. Or... Yeah. Well, I don't even remember. Yeah. So Walkman. Since... That was the only one that oh, was a yeah. good decision. I still remember that thing. Yeah. I had a Hello Kitty Walkman. I let you, I let you keep your entire all of your I think it was your Christmas money or your birthday money for that one but basically since the day they've been born half of everything they've gotten goes into their savings account period no sorry not negotiable no you have buts to do it or what is it if buts or ands I don't know and yeah, something like that I don't know so yeah which okay. now as a adult very thankful for that so if you are a parent listening to this I highly recommend you have your children do that because Looking at me versus my friends, friends. that didn't mm -hmm. save money at all. They yeah. don't know how to handle their money. They don't know what's happening. They have no money. They're all broke. They get it. They spend it. Yep. So. So, yeah. Maddie went and got us Thai food. And she got us quad espressos as well. So we I got a are triple. set. Oh, she got a triple. Uh-oh. Am I drinking the right one? Yeah. I just picked one up off the counter. I didn't even look at it. You probably instinctively picked up the darker one. I probably did. That's so funny. I think I did pick up the darker one. I didn't one. say anything because you picked up the darker I one. Was I just like, figured you looked at the I was label. like, man, that one has too much cream in it. I don't want that one. <laughs> it also has an entire less shot than yours. But yeah, no, they did put a lot of cream in it, but I'm not mad about it. It's delicious. So we have our coffee. We have our Thai food. Our lips are on fire. Also, my lips are still sunburnt from when we went snowshoeing. So Maddie and I decided this week that we would just start, just pick up snowshoeing. We would just start snowshoeing. We never had gone snowshoeing before. Because <laughs> we've never done it. And not only have we never done it, but there's like this month during the winter, January, where hiking is really difficult for us because it's so goddamn cold and there's so much snow in the mountains here. So we were like... Let's just snowshoe. Let's, let's do it. Let's go snowshoeing. And so we borrowed our friend's snowshoes. Yes. Uh, thanks, Billy. Thank you, Billy. Does he listen to the podcast? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we still haven't returned his snowshoes. Yes, so. I did return them. You did? I did. Good yeah. job. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty good at that. And then my friend uh, Jen messaged me today and she's like, do you still have your borrowed snowshoes? Because I want you to go snowshoeing with me on Sunday. And I was like, uh, oh, I already returned them. Yeah. And next thing I've decided I don't think I like snowshoeing. Oh, yeah. So we had a great hike. We hiked into the mountains. We'll post pictures at some point before this comes out, probably. And we, we, were, we were there for sunrise. It was beautiful. Amazing. Yeah. We drove two and a half hours. We got there in the dark. We struggled significantly to try to get the snowshoes on. Put our on. snowshoes on because we didn't look at them really beforehand and nope. try to figure it out. Cause... Oh, and we had no idea either because we never even talked to the person we borrowed them. We just took them off the front porch at three in the morning. <laughs> we really did. Yeah, so. So, <laughs> actually, when he when he got them from me, when he, because he, he stopped by yesterday to get them, mm -hmm. when he got them from me, he was like, oh, I totally forgot to tell you how to latch the ankle so that you could go uphill. And I was like, we figured it out. I'm like, we still struggled though. <laughs> we didn't figure it out. I did on the big ones when we switched. I didn't figure it out. Oh yeah. So we get we get it was we get up this mountain, you guys. I'm not kidding. It's really steep. We have 
snowshoes. They're basically, they're like little shoes for the snow. If you don't know what snowshoes on snowshoes are, know. go on your phone, look them up. They come in all different types, shapes, sizes, the different right. styles. And we actually had nice ones. So we get out of the car, we get our snowshoes on. We start heading up. Maddie is struggling. She's like stopping every five seconds. My She's shoes, totally struggling. they're falling off. They were not staying on. They were coming unlatched. And I I'm couldn't like, get them to stay. You need to tighten them. And I, <laughs> I was trying. We, we get to this one section where she's like basically just falling over and it's almost comical. And I'm like, get up. And oh, she's like, and by the way, this entire time, cross country skiers are passing us. I'm being laughed at by cross country <laughs> skiers as I'm tripping down the mountain in my snowshoes. So basically I'm like, okay, switch me snowshoes. I can't watch this anymore. So we switched and then she continues to struggle and I'm totally fine. Well then also when you're snowshoeing, you have to like walk kind of like more wide stance than like I a little bow legged. Yeah. And it was bad for my knees. Yeah, so we tried snowshoeing. We didn't love it. We loved being able to go to this place yes. that we went to watch the sunrise. The and snow, the mountain amazing. Amazing. However, we did not like the physical way, action of snowshoeing. The, yeah, the way we had to walk in them. My knees were hurting by the end from the downhill because we couldn't glissade. Uh, so anyway, we decided we don't really want to snowshoe, and instead we want to cross-country ski. So we're going to try that now. I'm so excited. I w used to go cross-country skiing as a kid, and I've been telling my mom for years, Mom, cross-country skiing is the shit. And like, I'm like, have that to looks do it. so boring. I don't want to do that. And then we're up there, and <laughs> all these cross-country skiers are past us, and she goes, that looks great. And I was like, well, because they have, you can get skins for your skis, so you can go uphill where you, go, you can't go backwards, you can just go forward. And then when you get to the top, you take your skins off and you just fucking ski down. I mean, come on. I never thought about it that way. I thought about cross country like in like a big flat area just going. Where flat? What flat area in Washington are we going to go there cross are country none. skiing? I don't know. There's no flat area. <laughs> I don't even know. When you Google cross country skiing, the first photos that come up are these people skiing on this really, really flat land. Where are they? Where's really flat and getting that much snow? I don't snow? know. That's all I've ever seen though. Like Where, in the movies and stuff. That's what you see when people are like cross country skiing and I'm like Okay, my only cross country skiing experience that I've thought of was when I was a kid doing it here. Yeah. But just let me know if someone if you if you live somewhere super duper flat, do you get a bunch of snow? I'm I'm just a little confused. Like flat, like really flat I, yeah, places. Probably, yeah, some places. Where? I mean, I don't know. I want to know I want to know where though. I assume I it happened. It obviously happens because know. people go cross country skiing on flat land. I just want to know where this flat land that's covered in snow is. Yeah, me too. Because like down where it's like kind anyway, of anyway, anyway, Maddie here. will continue to talk about this if I let her I go. Could talk so about I'm anything. gonna have to cut her off. Talk so. about how the moon landing's fake. We could talk about how <laughs> Helen Keller is a hoax. I don't know. <laughs> you choose. Also, eels have no reproductive systems. Okay, so they don't know how seals. How I mean, eels how they reproduce. They ha they don't. Nobody's ever actually seen it because they won't do it in captivity. Huh. Okay, so I'm gonna stop Maddie because she will literally talk like this forever. This is what Hannah posted today. I was taught from a very young age to defend my sisters, no matter what. We can fight and pick on each other all we want, but when it comes down to it, you will defend each other. That is my stance growing up, and nothing has changed to this day. You question their character, moral beliefs, standards for which they live their lives. You are questioning mine as well. Be kind or get the fuck out of here. We have always had each other's back, and that will continue. 
family wa- drama. I need to hear the rest of the family drama because I haven't heard all of it. I only heard. Uh, and then she said, in second grade, a boy was making fun of me on the playground. And my first grade sister, Marie, came and pushed him off the playground and broke his arm. Technically, it was like one of those like cement pole things that you can sit on or that kids climb on. Mm-hmm. You pushed him off? Yeah, and broke his arm. So he was making fun of Hannah. And somebody said, yep, that sounds like Marie. I'm like, thanks. Yep. What was funny was we were going up the mountain road on our way to our hike, and usually my mother is a very, 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 very fast driver when it comes to mountain roads. Scares, scares the shit out of anyone else that's not me because I'm used to it. True story. But we were, bo- we were both car sick at 4 a.m., because it's five, it's five. It was like five a.m. Yeah, it's pitch black though. We're driving on a snow-covered road. It's windy. very windy. We are super carsick going up this road. So we were driving like really slow. Not even that slow, but it pretty was pain- slow. Yeah, it, it was painfully slow for me. But I was like, I will throw up if I drive any faster. Right and all now. the cars behind us were coming up, and then we were like, we had to keep pulling over for like, cars. We're to pass super carsick. <laughs> we're sorry. <laughs> okay. Speaking of rocks, when we took a trip, when we were in Iceland, I may or may not have taken a couple of volcanic rocks because I wanted to take them for me and my sisters. And my entire bag got flagged at the airport. Yeah, thanks, Madison. I had to deboard. It was a mess. They wouldn't okay. let me board the plane. It was a disaster. I'm sorry. I know you're not <laughs> supposed to take things like that. Don't. But I did it. Lava rocks. I did it. Little. They were little tiny ones. They were really tiny. But yeah, you're not supposed to take that stuff. Come on. I really, really wanted to. I treasure it. It lives on my shelf. It's so cute and I love it. And and we almost got arrested for it. They let me keep it. They didn't take it out of my bag. Okay. We go. got on the plane. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure that's what I got my bag right flagged now. for. But I did inherit your bad luck at airports. Yes, you did. I don't know how that was genetically passed. I know. But that is genetically is. passed. Because no matter what airport I'm in, where I am, I get searched. Yeah, I get, get patted down. We get flagged. We get searched. My Our bags, bags get, get searched, searched every time. I've never know. been in an airport and my bag not get searched. Yeah. So the biggest struggle of, I think, being in the bunker is that temperature control is a fucking disaster. It's impossible. It's, it's I already impossible. I already turned my blanket down to one because I put my sweater out of the dryer on. <laughs> It's impossible to maintain a comfortable temperature in this room. Well, because the longer we sit in here, the warmer it gets. Because it's like it just like mm-hmm. hot boxes in here of our heat. Mm-hmm. Ah, damn, have, too bad this isn't my bedroom anymore. I could. And we have our spicy Thai food in here too. That's probably not helping. Okay, not gonna happen. Are you looking at the light? Does yeah, that actually work for you. Oh yeah, usually it does. Okay, next question. I would like a poll done on Instagram, or you guys just send us in. Does looking at light or sun make you sneeze? It does me. Not me. I thought it was a myth as a kid when people are like, oh, I looked at the sun and I sneezed. And I was like, you're stupid. What do you mean? No, that totally works for me. Okay. Which way would be ready, tighty, lefty, loosey? This way would be tightening. No, you're loosening it. This this way? That way. Righty, tighty. That's what I want to do. Righty, tighty. Righty. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Apparently, my children do not know right from left. Well, I'm trying to think about which way because I don't know how the microphone. I don't know. Someone made a remix out of the dog. Can I get an owa owa? (gasps) Did you just hurt yourself? I don't know. No, I'm not breathing. 
Shit, that thing's sharp too. My mother might have just cut herself. The Can I get an Trying to open a leapfrog pen for the five-year-old. <laughs> hey, five-year-old, come here. Would you like to say something? <laughs> I don't think we have AAA batteries. <laughs> I don't think. Mom got it. <laughs> no, where are you going? No, where are hey, you going? Five-year-old, no, is it way no, past no, no, your bedtime? Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> you guys are stressing out the cat. Did you have Rocky Road ice cream today? Yes, and watch the movie. What movie did we watch? Uh, I don't know. It was a spatial thing. Was it about the board game? Yes, it was. That froze the sister? Yes. Yeah? <laughs> and are you supposed to be in bed right now? Yes. <laughs> Why are you out of bed exactly? <laughs> because dad's not here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go find Triple A. Where is your dad? He's at work. He's working night shift. That's right. Can I get your name? Phoenix? Can I get an owl owl? <laughs> ow, ow! Yeah, she always goes in there. Okay, okay, go find batteries. Do you know where AAA batteries are? Nope. I'm the middle child and no one loves me. Okay, so in case anyone's wondering, if you're not on TikTok, then you probably don't know that there's a dog named Pudgy that's on TikTok, just became TikTok famous recently. And his owner's like, can I get an owa-owa? And the dog just goes nuts. <laughs> and just like, it's like a blind, tiny little chihuahua. So that's what was happening. And disregard anything that the middle child said while we were gone. Which will probably be cut out of the podcast.